Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Guys, it is really good to be with you. Um, I have to tell you, uh, I still get nervous preaching. I've been doing it for like 15 years. And I still get nervous preaching, but you guys, are, you guys are so easy to be with. Anytime I get to be with you, it's a, it's a blessing. It doesn't mean I don't need the Holy Spirit, because, you, know, you know, I can mess this up real good. But, um, but it is a blessing to be with you, and, I, and I, I care for you so much. And I do pray that our time together today would be, would be good. Man, how exciting is it to have Orion get baptized today? Wasn't that cool? So cool. Um. And, and how cool was it to get a primer for LFBI from Sam today? For those of you who are like wondering what LFBI is like, well, there you go. It's like that. Um, but uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. And we're going to pick it up in verse, in verse 18. Okay, so have your Bibles open and ready. Uh, but just briefly, I want to I do a, a quick recap for us to get our context straight. Um, oh, man. Okay, hold on. There we go. I was in the wrong spot in my notes. Sorry, I'm so, I'm like not put together today. I apologize. You know, because I'm usually so well put together. I want to, okay, so last time we were together, Paul was ministering in Corinth. Remember this? And, um, and, you know, late one night, he's laying in his bed. And he's praying and he's talking to the Lord about what he's supposed to do next in ministry. And, uh, and Jesus shows up, right? And uh, this is important. This conversation between Paul and Jesus is pretty important because Paul, by his very nature, was a bit of a rambling man, right? He never liked to stay in one place very long. It was in his, his nature, based on the, the commission that he was given to go throughout all of the Greek regions to preach the gospel. And he was ready to do that. And, and it, was, it was his inclination to kind of be on the road. You know, he wanted to get out and he wanted to speak and he wanted to win people to the Lord. And then he wanted to move on and do it again somewhere else. And that's where he was at. And his heart was to see the church established in all these Greek cities all over the region. But late one night, Jesus shows up in a vision and tells Paul what it looks like to be an evangelist. Okay, what it looks like to be an evangelist and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and to, and to stay still in Corinth for a season. You guys remember this message? Yeah? And so, so Christ comes to him and he says, Look, man, I want you to stay here a little bit longer. I want you to stay in Corinth. I want you to continue ministering. I know you haven't been very fruitful so far, but that's okay. I want you to stay here and I, and I want you to re- remember a few things. And the first thing is that I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm going I'm to walk with you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to empower you to do the work. And so it's not just that I'm with you, but I'm going to give you the thrust and the wherewithal and the power to go and do the thing that seems so difficult. And I want you to be here for a while. I want you to camp out in Corinth. And I want you to focus your attention. I want you to double down. And that's just what Paul does. He doubles down his attention in Corinth. And he starts making disciples. And it says here in the passage that he was there for a year and a half. 
Now, I want to point out that it wasn't long after this decision to stay in Corinth that he was tempted in his decision to stay. Right? A trial comes almost immediately. A challenge follows. He gets the word from the Lord. He recognizes his need to stay put. He knows what he's supposed to do. But it's not long after that that the challenge comes and all of the things that he committed to doing get challenged in his heart and his mind. And so the chief ruler of the temple snags Paul and he drags him before the highest court in Corinth with the hope that, uh, that this would put an end to Paul's ministry completely. Okay, the, the idea that the chief ruler has, well, if I bring him before the deputy of Achaia, this is a higher court, and if, and if the deputy of Achaia agrees that Paul is causing problems and that the Christians need to put down, then it will, it, it will actually silence the Christian in every Roman city. So this was actually a big deal, and it was strategic on their part. And so in this moment, Paul has every reason to kind of fear in his heart that this could be the end. Right? And remember, just as he starts to defend himself before the deputy, the deputy steps in and begins to speak. Now, before we talk about that, I want to point something out. Satan wants to use situations to test your faith. And to force you to ask the question, will, will, will God really protect me in this situation? Did, did, did God really mean all the words that he spoke over my life? And I know for a fact in this ministry that a lot of you are being challenged on a day-to-day -day basis to actually believe the, God, uh, believe the words that God gave you. Like, like did God bring you th to this church or not? And some of you hear the word of Satan and you get tempted to say to yourself, well, maybe, maybe that's not actually what God did. Maybe he didn't actually bring me to Midtown Baptist Temple. Maybe the path of growth that I thought he put me on, well, maybe, maybe I was just confused a little bit. Maybe discipleship's not for me. Maybe this isn't the place where I'm supposed to be. Maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to go on that mission trip. Maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to go to Vietnam. And, and, and this is the exact line of thinking and the exact line of question asking that Satan wants you to be in. He wants you questioning the words of God. The things that God has done in your life, he wants you to call those things into question because if he can do that, well then he can, he can demotivate you and demobilize you. That's the objective. And so before Paul had an opportunity to even speak up, God had already been at work in the deputy of Achaia's heart. And the conclusion was that, that these accusations that were being made were trivial. And he wanted nothing to do with them. In fact, he takes the chief ruler. I'm cutting in and out here. I'll do whatever you want me to do, bro, as long as I don't cut. How's that? I thought you said this was new. No. Um, so, so they, I mean, this chief deputy is, is so unconcerned with these matters that just to show everybody what's up, he takes the chief ruler of the synagogue and he beats him openly, right? Like, I don't want anything to do with this. Now, I want to tell you, that wasn't a decision that the deputy made. That was a decision that God had determined the moment that he told Paul that he was going to protect him in Corinth. God was up to something. God was doing something. And he proves himself time and time again. And I wonder 
if we have the faith necessary to double down in the ministry that God has given us without any doubt, knowing that He has our best in mind, that He's going to protect us, that He's going to guide us, and He's going to love us. A lot of you know exactly where God has you. And He's told you to double down. He's told you to focus your attention. He's told you where He wants to use you. He's told you what this season of ministry is going to look like. It's been confirmed among the saints. It's been confirmed in the Word of God. It's been confirmed through the Spirit. It's been confirmed through your circumstances. You know where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing. Are you going to actually believe what God has said and focus your attention and do the thing that He's going to do and not worry about what Satan is, is, is plotting in order to keep you from doing that? Does this make sense? So this is where we've been. And now we're moving forward. Today we're going to see Paul, after spending more time in Corinth, he eventually finds himself, he finds himself back on the road. He spent his time in Corinth, right? God, he, God has told him to do this work in Corinth. He's done that work. He's seen it to the end. He's leaving his disciples there to do the work, to remain. And he's ready to move on. And what we're going to see in this leg of his journey is one of the most is one of the hardest and, and most complicated aspects of doing ministry. And that's saying farewell to those that we love. Those we've given our lives to. And we're going to learn in this part of his missionary journey the value of old friends and new friends alike. And we're going to learn some principles about friendship. And we're going to talk about the emotional complexity of having friends in the ministry. It's tough. It's difficult. And we're going to look at what God's point of view on friendship is today in His Word. Okay, I'm going to pray. Can we do that? So we can focus. I think I need a little bit of focus. I'm still cutting out over here, bro. Oh, wait, what? Oh, there it is. In, out, in, out. It's all good. You guys can hear me. Even this mic goes out. You can hear me, right? I'll, I'll yell if I need to. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, and uh, we thank you for the opportunity to, to be with you in your word, with one another. We, we thank you for this fellowship. We thank you for these friendships. We thank you for what you've done. I mean, there's, there's so many faces that are new to this ministry, and, and not all of them know what, what all you've done after, over the last four, five, six years in this ministry, Lord, how you've built this up to be exactly what you want it to be. And, and Lord, you're not done with us. There's still more work to be done. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to bind us together, that these friendships in this room would, would be more and more crucial, that we would weave ourselves into the fabric of this ministry, that, that, that the lives of other people would be inextricably bound to us. And that, Lord, we would be used to build each other up. And that, Lord, we know that in time what you're doing is that you're going to cut away some of this fabric to be moved to other places. You're going to move us. And you're going to see us start new works. And there's, there's so much to be done in your mission. And, Lord, we know, we know that there are hard days are coming in terms of our relationships, and we want your perspective. We, we want to know how to treat our friends and what it means like to build new friendships and what it means to, to say goodbye. And, and we've got to understand that because that is a part of doing the work. It's saying farewell for now. 
And so, Lord, would you show us how to do that with your heart, to have an eternal perspective? Lord, be gracious uh, with us today from your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so Paul is going to say farewell to Corinth after being there for really the longest amount of time that he's spent in any other city, probably besides Antioch's, since his discipleship. I mean, he's been here for quite some time. And it says in verse 18, And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow. Now there's a lot there. And in, in these, these, this verse is, is kind of packed with information. And I want to make sure that we address everything that's happening here. So, so they decide to set sail. And, and they're, headed, they're headed eventually to Antioch. But, but his objective is to go to Ephesus, then Jerusalem, and then Antioch. These are the places that Paul wants to get to. And he's got to sail to get there. And so this is kind of a complicated journey. He's going to spend a lot of time on the water, which is never very easy back then. And he's got some object- objectives in mind, and he's got some things that he wants to do. And so this is a pretty serious trip. And he's got a team that's going to go with him, Aquila and Priscilla. We see that uh, in this passage that Aquila and Priscilla have in mind to go with Paul and to be with him and the work. Maybe because they believe that their discipleship is not done. They, they, they still want to learn from him. Maybe it's because uh, they, they want to be a part of seeing disciples established in these other places. But no matter what, what we see is that their loyalty lies with him. Their loyalty lies with their spiritual leader. Aquila and Priscilla were loyal to their leadership. And their loyalties to Paul were now, they're well established. And their love for Paul and the mission made it very easy for them to say, yeah, I want to go with you. Right? Like, okay, so when, when this church was planted, Midtown Baptist Temple, I was in ministry with Pastor Sam Miles in a ministry just like this one. And when he started talking about coming to Midtown and planting a church, and he started casting that vision and talking about it in little moments in his office here and there in the hallway at church, there was no doubt in my mind that when he went, I'd go with him. There was no doubt. It was an Aquila Priscilla type of thing. I was loyal to him. I knew that, that that he was my spiritual leader and that I was going to follow him wherever he goes. And that's the same thing that's happening here. It's Proverbs 18.24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But the second part is really powerful. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. There is that type of friend. And that was the type of friends that Aquila and Priscilla were to Paul. This word sticketh means joined together. Like we talked about in the prayer, Right? They were joined together the way thread is bound together within a fabric. They were joined together. Now, Aquila and Priscilla were not just loyal to their leadership. They were also flexible in the mission. So as much as they were joined to Paul, they were equally as flexible for the mission's sake. Okay, after all, this couple had been kicked out of Rome. Remember that? Remember that when we first were introduced to Aquila and Priscilla, we discovered that they were actually kicked out of Rome with all of the Jews because the Christians were causing all those problems. Remember that? So what they did is they expelled the Jews from Rome and they ended up here in Corinth. That's how they met Paul. And so so by Aquila and Priscilla's very nature, these are flexible people. These are people without a home. These are people without a habitation. And so when Paul says it's time to go, well, they're ready. Because they're flexible in their mind and in their heart. They had grown accustomed to temporary dwellings. 
And we're ready, again, for, for, for change, change of scenery. Now here is a side note. I want, to, I want to pause here for just a second. I want to point out what it means to actually be a stranger and a pilgrim in the earth. Okay, so, so first of all, a warning. To be transient for transient's sake, that's a hippie ideal. To be the wanderer, life's wanderer, to look out on the earth with mystery and want to go and, you know, plumb the depths and climb its heights and see the world. That's, a, that's, like, a, that's like a hippie ideal. Right? That comes from the world, to be a transient person for the sake of being transient. That's not what we're talking about. When we talk about Christians who are flexible and ready to go, that means when God calls, they're ready to leave. Not leaving for leaving's sake. I mean, we live in an age... I, I, um, I always forget the name of this book, which is really good. What's the book that you guys had to read in high school that they made a movie about, about the guy who goes and dies in Alaska? Yeah, Into the Wild. Oh my gosh, this is the worst piece of literary trash on the face of the earth. <laughs> this is a story. People literally worship this guy. They worship this guy, right? This guy just one day decides, like, forget my family. Uh, I'm going to go see the world. And so he goes and he like, he doesn't know anything that he's doing. Every important relationship that ever enters his life, he just very easily says, you know, you know, forget you, I'm leaving. Right? And then he ends up dying in the wilderness. And this is, some, this is like idealistic. This is like, people think that this, is, this is like the way to live life, to go and, and find your path, find your way, find your journey. Completely autonomous from humanity. And this kind of ideal has somehow crept into the church. And so people have no problem bouncing from church to church looking for their community, looking for the face of God, wondering where he's at. And they never plug in and they never get discipled. And they're not listening for the voice of God. They're not looking for his direction. They're not being called to the mission. They think their mission is to somehow fulfill life's journey. And I just want to say that's doo-doo. See, here's, here's the truth. A pilgrim for Christ's sake, a pilgrim for Christ's sake, someone who's, who's flexible to go when God says go, is a person who will be fruitful in ministry everywhere that God takes them. And so it's for this reason we send missionaries and plant churches with faith and with sobriety. We don't want to just send people because we're going. We don't want to just send people to Boston because we're going there. We want to send people who are supposed to go there. Not just anybody who's got like wild hair can just go and be a part. Look, we're going to plant hundreds of churches in our our lifetime, y'all. In our lifetime, we're going to plant hundreds of churches and we're going to be a part of that. But we're not just going to send people just to send them. We send our best and brightest, the ones who've proven that they're going to be fruitful, not the ones that get a wild hair. Right? Do you understand? Being a pilgrim on this earth means that you're flexible to go when it's time to go because the Lord of heaven and earth has told you. I I hope that makes sense. Now briefly, I want to stop off here and I want to talk about this vow. It talks about a vow here. Um, so what happens is that they're in Corinth and they go down to the, the port city of Centria because they're getting ready to leave from the port city to go across the gulf. There's a, there's a, if you look, look at a map, I actually have a map here. Okay, here's the map. 
See, there's this gulf here from Centria that goes over here to Ephesus. This is where they're headed next. And so before they, they leave on that trip, uh, Paul gets a haircut. Okay, he gets a, he gets a haircut. And, uh, and so what we know is, is it appears as though Paul hadn't cut his hair in a long time because he had taken a Nazarite vow. Now this is fairly, you know, it's fairly trivial because it never comes up anywhere in the passage, that, this idea that, that Paul took a Nazarite vow. Now you guys know about the Nazarite vow because we talked about it at the Mission Focus Conference. Chris Best preached a message on this. And uh, in order to, to teach us, just in terms of, of illustration, devotionally, what it looks like to actually separate ourselves from the world. It was a very powerful message. And this idea of the Nazarite vow is basically this. A Jew would say, um, I'm going to commit myself for a time to the Lord to not cut my hair. So there's this visible aspect of separation. When you look at a person who takes a Nazarite vow, well, they look like me. They look like a freak. There's something different about them because their hair is long and no one else's is, right? And so Paul would have looked different than other people. It would have been visible that he had this Nazarite vow. But he was also committing not to eat anything of the grapevine, right? Eat or take in, imbibe, or eat anything that came from the grape plant. And then he wasn't supposed to come near any dead bodies. Um, okay, you can go study that out for yourself in uh, Numbers chapter 6. So the Nazarite vow was an act of devotion in Jewish culture. Now, Paul, being a Jew in terms of his heritage, would have seen no problem taking a Nazarite vow. But he would have also recognized that it wasn't necessary. You understand? So I want to make this clear, clear to you doctrinally. That because, because the law no longer had power over Paul's life as a Christian, because he lived in grace, he recognized that he, he wouldn't have needed to take a Nazarite vow. Right? He had no obligation to do so, but he likely would have taken one as a way of building testimony among the Jewish people that he was ministering to. This makes sense? And so this once again shows us how important it is to become all things to all people. Right? Paul was having a hard time in some of these synagogues convincing them of who Jesus Christ was. He was having difficulty sharing the gospel. And the Nazarite vow would have maybe in some ways given flexibility in his witness. Do you understand? Because he would have at least presented himself as a devoted Jew. Now either way, upon leaving Corinth, his vow must come to a close and he shaved his head. And that's how you mark the end of one of these vows. He shaves his head and then he sets sail to Ephesus. Okay? And so they take off. Now we're going to talk about these new friends in Ephesus. Verse 19. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they desired him to tarry longer time, uh, uh, longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep, his, uh, keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. Okay, so they land in Ephesus. Aquila, Priscilla, Paul, they land there. And now Ephesus is, the, is a metropolis city in Lesser Asia. And it's a port city, as you can see, right, from the map. Yeah, see, it's right there. And, uh, and so this was a major port city for this part of Asia. And uh, this is a city that, that Paul's famed letter to the Ephesians would go to. Eventually he would write this letter to Ephesus. And this is the place that Timothy... Paul's disciple would eventually pastor here. So God's really at work. And, and Paul had great favor in Ephesus. It wasn't like Corinth where it was kind of hard work. Man, he goes to, to Ephesus, he starts preaching, and people are listening in the synagogues, and people are getting saved, and he, he has fruit. He starts bearing fruit very quickly. 
Now, it says here that Paul reasoned with them. And we've come across this word a couple times now, right? This word reason. I want to camp out here for just a second because I haven't really addressed this. But biblical reasoning is the practice of using the absolute truths of God's word to make logical arguments against misguided or fallacious worldviews, secular worldviews, lost worldviews. Using God's word to combat against the falsity of false religion, false ideals, false philosophies, using God's word to refute those things. That's what biblical reasoning is. And that's what Paul was doing in the synagogue. Now, Paul could do that for two reasons. Okay, so if you, if you want to be able to reason with the lost, and you want to be able to lay logical biblical arguments against bad and, and, and lost worldviews, there's two things that you have to know. First of all, you have to know God's word. You can't, you can't reason with the lost if you don't first know what the book says. Because you have nothing to compare their ideas to. The second thing you need to do is you need to know what the lost world thinks. This was Paul's great advantage, right? Because he knew what the, the Bible said from a Christian worldview, but he also knew what the Bible said from a Jewish worldview. So he knew the people that he was debating with. He knew the people that he was speaking with. He was familiar with their ideas, with their philosophies. And a lot of us, a lot of us as Christians, we start learning the Bible, but we forget the way that the lost world actually thinks. We get so so distant over time that we don't actually stay in tune. And this is true the the older you get, because there's other reasons. It's not just because you're a closed-minded Christian. It's just because you get tired and you get old and you have kids and you start losing touch the way I am. I don't know what's going on anymore, you know. So I have to do a lot of reading to stay in touch with what's going on, right. But, but, but in time, as a Christian, you can get so polarized in your thinking, which is a really good thing. You want to learn God's word. You want to be about that. But sometimes we lose touch with the lost. And if we're going to go win the lost and we're going to reason with the lost, well, we have to know what they think. And this is why we offer a class called Speech and Reasoning in LFBI, which is what's being taught right now. Now, if you missed that, I want to announce right now that we're going to offer it as a self-paced course this summer. So I know that there was a lot of people that were like, ah, man, I wanted to take that class and I didn't get a chance. Well, it's an eight-week course, and we're going to offer it again as a self-paced this summer. And so if you want to learn what the world thinks and then what the Bible has to say about that, well, then that'll be an opportunity for some of you come this summer. But Paul was equipped. He knew God's word. And he knew what the lost around him thought. And he had the ability to reason with them. And so he does. And people get saved. And there's fruit. And God's at work. And it's pretty cool. So Paul reasons with the lost in Ephesus. And he's fruitful. But the problem is that he has to get to Jerusalem. He's got to go. I got to get. I got other places to be. And likely he has to get there for the feast of the Passover. Okay? In Jerusalem. Because likely, and this is just speculation... But based on, on what we understand about Paul and the way that the church was in, 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 in Jerusalem, he was probably getting there so he could meet up with the missionaries and the apostles from back in the day, right? The guys that he came up with, the other apostles, the ones that are stationed in Jerusalem, and those missionaries and deacons that had gone out, they're probably all coming back to Jerusalem for the Passover, and he wants to get with them. And so he has a re- it's like It's like... Um, Everybody coming back to Kansas City for mission focus, right? Like, there's a, hey, 
we, if we're going to do anything, we just can't miss mission focus. And so like, we've got to schedule everything in order to make sure that we're in Kansas City come end of December, right? And that's the way our, our sister churches think, right? And that's cool because it gives us an opportunity to come back together and to fellowship, and this is the way Paul was thinking. So they decide that Aquila and Priscilla will remain behind in Ephesus to minister in his absence. And so Aquila, and we see here Aquila and Priscilla, 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 that's how you say it in Alabama, Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla. (laughs) Okay, Aquila and Priscilla, listen, they were loyal to the mission. They were loyal to the mission. I think it's really interesting that the same couple who was prone to follow Paul, upon seeing the need in Ephesus, opted to stay behind and minister there. Now listen to me, I want, I want this to be, if you're writing things down, this would be something you'd want to write down. It's a sign of great maturity to sacrifice yourself for the weak. It's a sign of great maturity to sacrifice yourself for the weak. And what I mean by that is Aquila and Priscilla had it in their mind that they wanted to go with Paul. It, was never, it wasn't a part of the plan as far as we can tell for them to stay in Ephesus, but they chose to stay because they recognized that the, the, that the growth of the weak brethren there was more important than the desires that they had to go. I mean, wouldn't you, if you were Aquila and Priscilla, wanted to go on to Jerusalem so that you could meet Peter? I mean, I would want to. So you could go and hang out with the other apostles, James and these men of God that were there. I would want to go there. I'd want to be a part of that. And yet they chose to stay. Paul and his team had grown accustomed to this. It was part of their missions culture. And this is it. This is the truth that, that, that Timothy and Silas and, and Luke and Aquila and Priscilla and on and on and on. This is the truth that they knew. You don't win the lost without supporting their development. You don't win the lost. You don't go to the lost and win them and say, hey, there you go, buddy. You got your ticket to heaven? I'll see you there and go. You don't do that. You guys remember in Jonah, at the very end of Jonah chapter 4, when all of Nineveh has gotten saved, and Jonah is throwing a fit, and God starts talking to Jonah, and he says, look, man, look around. Look at all of these people that got saved, this entire city. I mean, from what we know, that at least if we're just counting the men of Nineveh, there was probably just, just in terms of the men, the grown men, adults, there was 150,000 people in that city. So we're talking, it could have been as many as 300 to 400,000 people get saved from one message, an entire city accepts Jesus Christ. We, we've, there's nothing, at least in our remainder of our the, the, you know, historical record, to compare to that. And so what we see is God is having this conversation with Jonah, and he says to Jonah, he's like, look, man, look at this city. These people don't even know their right hand from their left. And you're up here throwing a fit, and what they need is a a discipler. They need someone to mentor them in the faith, and you're just going to leave them? You're just going to leave them to their own devices? See, the truth is, this is what we all recognize that we can't just leave babies in Christ out in the street. We've got to disciple them. We've got to minister to them. We've got to build them up. We've got to, we've got to show them the things that God has shown us. After evangelism comes discipleship. 
And so because Paul and Aquila and Priscilla were unwilling to leave these new believers behind, Aquila and Priscilla decided to stay. And this is why Paul's always leaving people behind. Timothy and the boys. Paul knew that discipleship was a crucial part of the mission and the longevity of the work. If the work was truly going to be established long term throughout these Greek regions, it was going to require leaving people behind. And so first of all, I want to say this. There's three things that we talked about here. Three things that Aquila and Priscilla knew and were about. And the first thing is they were loyal to leadership. They were loyal to leadership. They went with Paul. They were willing to sacrifice and and be flexible and go, which is our next thing. They were flexible for the mission's sake. They were flexible for the mission's sake. Is it up there? Yeah, good. And then lastly, they were loyal to the mission. In other words, listen, they wanted to go with Paul. They were loyal to the leader. Look, but they were flexible for the mission too. They, They were willing to leave stuff behind to go. But listen, all of that got submitted. All of that got got laid to the side because this last priority was of of most importance. Their loyalty, first and foremost, was to the mission. In other words, their loyalty was to God. They were going to do whatever He wanted them to do. Regardless of what they wanted to do, they were submitted to Him. Does this make sense? Man, these are character qualities that we all ought to have. As I look across this group and I think about what God's doing in your lives, I know that in time, a lot of you are going to be called to the mission. And and I pray to God that this is the type of missionaries that we're raising. This is what we need in ministry. We need people just like this. So, they have to say goodbye again. They said goodbye in Corinth. And now they're in Ephesus. They gotta, Paul's got to say goodbye again. Now before Paul leaves Ephesus, he has, he has to do the hard work of saying farewell. And, farewell. and I don't want to gloss over this. He uses this wonderful term here. He's, he says this thing that I think is really powerful. He says, I will, I will return again unto you if God will. If God will. And I think this is a powerful statement and a good reminder for us. The work of the ministry does at times divide good friends and move them and keep them at a physical distance from one another. It's a difficult but necessary truth of the Great Commission. Ministry is full of goodbyes. With this in mind, it's important that we remember that every relationship must be surrendered to the providence of God's will and His desires. And it's for this reason that Paul can say, I can't wait to see you again, my friends. But whether we do or we don't, remember it's all in the hands of our loving Lord. His will be done. Because His will is perfect. So here's our first key point. Key point number one, give every friendship to God with His providence in mind. Every single friendship, give it to Him with His providence in mind. It's not like Paul didn't want to come back to Ephesus. In fact, he will come back to Ephesus. We'll read about it here really soon. God does give him the privilege to go back. But, he, but listen, Paul, in almost all of his letters, he makes statements like this because he desired and he longed to go see the children that he invested in. 
He longed to go see them, but he knew these truths that sometimes he wasn't going to be able to. In 1 Corinthians 16.5, he says, Now I will come unto you when I, sh- when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. I'm coming to you. I'm going to come see you. I'm on my way. I'm coming your direction. I want to see you. I long to see you. I love you, my friends. I'm coming to see you. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 says, Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. He wanted to go see the Thessalonians. He wanted to go see them, but he was hindered by Satan, and he desired to do it, but sometimes he just couldn't. Stuff got in the way. In 2 John 1.12 it says, Having many things to write unto you. Okay, obviously this is John, but it was, it was his heart as well. I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak to you face to face that our joy may be full. This desire to, to go and to see our friends and to be with them. But we have to trust. We have to trust that as God takes this ministry and does new works in new places, you know the thing that's on the tip of our tongue over and over again is what God's doing in Vietnam. And I can't help but think about it. I can't help but think about it. In fact, it's on my heart and my mind all the time. And part of it is just because I, I love Andrew so much. I've known Andrew for at least 18 years. I remember going on, the first time I actually ever hung out with Andrew was when we went on a trip to Colorado as a, as a, as a ministry in Checkpoint. That was the college and young adult ministry back in the day. And we went on this trip to Colorado. And this really, okay, he would say that his English, English was probably good, but, but at the time it wasn't near as good as it is now. Okay, let's put it that way. And so <laughs> I remember hanging out with Andrew just because two reasons. First of all, the joy that emanated from this, from this young follower of Christ was contagious. I just loved to be around him. But the second thing was, it was funny just talking to him. <laughs> right? Because his accent was so bad. Like, and it was just fun being around him. And I was, you know, I was 18 and, and silly. That kind of thing entertaining, entertaining. Right? The way that things like that entertain Alex all the time because he's immature and always laughing at things he shouldn't. <laughs> so, so, but man, God knit our hearts together. I remember when he left and he was... He was praying about coming back. I remember begging the Lord for him to come back here. I just wanted him so desperately to be a part of what was going on at Midtown. And it didn't, he'd come back and visit from time to time. And it just didn't feel right that he wasn't at Midtown. And he finally moved from London back to Kansas City. And it was, that was so nice, you know. I don't have any other word for it. It was nice. It's nice to be with family. But every friendship that we have, we have to, we have to turn it over to the Lord. This life is not our own. This is our Father's world. And our free agency functions in light of His sovereign plan. And we shouldn't fight against it or undermine it. We shouldn't make our own way. We should only just submit to it. So Paul can say with love and with confidence, Christ will reunite all of us in due time. But in the meantime, we can trust His will. That he has what is right and good in his mind 
and in His time. You know, God's people are meant to be dispersed. They were always meant, God's people was, were always meant to be scattered. That they might bear fruit. That, that's, that's the way He intended it. And it's unreasonable for us to believe It's unreasonable for us to believe that if we're called to the mission that things will always just be fun and cool the way that they are right now. Things change for the believer as you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And you know, there's some of you in this room that are just now in discipleship and you're thinking, what, what is going on? What's Brandon talking about? I'm not like, I have no, I'm not like announcing that I'm going to Bolivia to be a missionary. I'm not like, I'm, not, I'm saying right here, with whoever wants to stay here, right here with me, okay? We're going to make disciples, and we're going to win Kansas City, and that's going to require people. I'm not kicking anybody out. I'm just preparing you for the fact that as time progresses, God has his way. He does his thing and his timing with his plan in mind, and he's doing things, and he's doing things in your lives, and, and we're all going to trust God with that. And if God's calling a handful of people to go to Vietnam, guess what? I see what God's doing. And I'm, I'm behind that work. And it will be painful. And I will, there will be many tears that will be cried. Because I don't want to say goodbye. I don't want to say farewell. But you know what's way worse than the pain I feel? Saying goodbye to friends that I've known to go plant churches. is the idea that if they don't go, souls will be lost. See, that's a way more powerful truth in my life, understanding that. That if they, if they don't go, who will go? Who will go? So Paul sets sail for Jerusalem. And he lands in Caesarea. Caesarea. And it says, in verse 21, it says, he, he sailed from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea, and gone up and saluted the church. So the church here is, uh, we need to start investing in tissues for the pulpit as well. I appreciate the water, but you guys know me too well to not help me out in this regard. Okay? Um, so he goes up, this, this says, and saluted the church. This is in reference to the church in Jerusalem. Okay, the church, the, the original church, the church in Jerusalem. So this brief time in Jerusalem uh, during the feast was important. It was important to Paul. It was important that he get there. He kept talking about it, right? Like, I got to get to Jerusalem. I got to get to Jerusalem. You guys can stay here, but I got to get there. And the reason is he needed to spend time with this group of mighty men of God who would come together in humility and confirming their mutual love. See, Paul's ministry had blossomed. I mean, from the last time he saw the apostles, God had really been at work in Paul's life. It had grown, and he'd made new friends along the way, but he never forgot his old friends because these were good men and they were true to him. 
And it leads us to this key point. Key point. Cherish the friends that were with you in the beginning of your faith. Cherish the friends that were with you in the beginning of your faith. You know, I don't often get to see the men and women uh, in my life uh, that I love so much that were pivotal in my spiritual development. I don't often get to see them. I don't often get to see them anymore. I rarely see Pastor Dan, in fact. We're like, uh, we're like we pass each other in ministry life like this, you know. But, but Dan's my best friend. Dan discipled me. Without Dan in my life, there, there is, I mean, I don't know what I would be. Dan, Dan is my friend, and he's crucial to me. And I don't, I don't get to see him the way I'd like to. If I'm lucky, I see Brian Clark once a year. I mean, Brian Clark was one of the first people I remember looking up to because he was like, he was weird, but in a way that was like, uh, not like Christians that I'd been around most of my life, right? Most Christians I'd been around up to that point were legalistic and weird and strange. And, you know, as an 18-year-old, um, hearing uh, Brian, he, Brian used to give announcements in Checkpoint. This is how I first got to know him. And he wasn't, he wasn't opposed to using, you know, those borderline profanities, you know, the ones that are like, just like, is that a cuss word or not? I can't quite tell. And I remember really respecting that. You know, as an 18-year-old thinking, yeah, okay. So there's, there's Christians that are, you know, not, in my mind, not weird, uh, even though he's, he's very weird. But, you know, Brian means a lot to me. And I only get to see him from time to time. And, you know, I went without seeing James and Rosie <clears throat> for years. You know, we'd get, on, uh, we'd get on Skype. That's when people were still using Skype. Remember that? That was just like two years ago. We'd get on Skype and I'd see them and it just wasn't the same, you know. It just wasn't the same. But ministry life is funny. Time is fleeting and there's a lot to do. So it's of the utmost importance that we long for each other in love but trust the Lord for His way. If God has His way in time, many of us will be separated from one another but only in space, not in spirit. We're bound by something far more important than the distance that separates us. So this moment with his friends is short-lived, and he heads off to Antioch. So from Jerusalem, he heads north again to Antioch. He's got to say goodbye. These were his OGs. That's how I refer to them in my notes. It says, time with the OGs. So if you don't know what OG means, that means original gangster. Thank you. I need this whole packet. No. Um, so by original gangster, what I mean is the people that you came up with, it's good. It's good to cherish those relationships. Don't ever lose those relationships. Always long for them. Always desire to be refreshed by the people that were with you in the beginning. And some of you are in the beginning right now. Hold tight. Journal well. Okay, this is from an old man to young people. Journal well. Capture what God's doing in your life so you can go back and you can look at that in the moments where you forget. So then he moves on and he goes to Antioch. Now Antioch's unique. This is where my notes say time with the family. 
So he gets his time with the OGs, and now he, the boys, the boys club, and then now he's with his family. It says he went down to Antioch. Then he heads up to, to Antioch, his home church, which this, is, this concludes his second missionary journey. This is it. This is the end of the second journey. Like, we've come quite a ways in Acts, haven't we? So this concludes his second missionary journey. And he has, he, he's been gone so long, three years. He left in 50 A.D., and now it's 53 A.D. He spent three years away from his home church. I mean, that's, to me, that's really interesting. This was his sending church. This was his family. These were the folks that believed in him when others were unsure. Remember early on in Paul's ministry, people doubted him all the time? They're like, because remember, he was like a murderer, you know. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time trusting murderers, you know. But he, he accepts Christ, and it takes some time before the other believers start getting used to the idea that Paul, you know, Paul's in, right? But man, the church in Antioch embraced him. This is where he cuts his ministry teeth. This is where he first starts preaching and teaching and discipling. It was the first place where, where he was accepted and loved. This is the first place that embraced him. This, these are the folks that you can read about in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. You, you can read it on your own because you don't have time. They laid hands on him and ordained him and said, we believe that God is doing something in you and you ought to go. And we'll be here and we'll never forget you, but we're going to send you. And this is a place of importance because this is a place where Paul gets refreshed. Time with the, his peers and friends from his home church. This time is critical for him because it prepares him for what will be the hardest time in his ministry life. This is, this is the last time that we see Paul in Antioch. You don't see him go back to Antioch again. Not anywhere in Scripture. Now, he may have, but we don't read about it. Okay? Now listen to me. He's about to go into the hardest part of his ministry life that he's ever experienced. Things only get difficult from here, more and more difficult than what we've even seen. I mean, we've seen the guy get beaten and stuff, thrown in jail. It gets worse here. And he needs this time of refreshing. And so it's time, it's important to be refreshed. Here's the key point. Be refreshed by those that claim you, train you, and send you. Never forget those people. The ones that claim you. And I want to declare right now, we are the people that claim you. We claim you. We train you. And we send you. We are those people. This is your family. We are your Antioch church. And we ought, we ought to be refreshed by those people. And next, next he leaves. And this is where we'll, we'll close up here. So let's look at verse 23. It says that, that from Antioch, he goes to Galatia, the churches that he and Barnabas established on his very first missionary journey. It says in verse 23, he went all over the country of Galatia, Phrygia, in order, strengthening all the disciples. And this is where my notes say, time with the kids and grandkids. Time with the kids and the grandkids. It's a high priority for him to check in on his children in the faith. Barnabas and John Mark had recently been there to invest and show their love to them, but now it's Paul's turn. You know, it's not good enough for him to simply go and enjoy their company. What does it say that he did? It says he strengthened all the disciples. He came with a purpose, just like any spiritual father should. Just recently, I got lunch with Montana. Some of you know 
uh, Montana Rex, he's the, he's the youth director at Living Faith Lee Summit. But he's also my disciple. Like nine years ago, I discipled Montana. Can you believe that? It was like nine years ago. And man, he means so much to me, but, but he called me and he wanted to get lunch because he wanted me to hang out with Jordan. And Jordan is his disciple, and they were on Lesson 18. And they wanted to get lunch together. And we, you know what? We enjoyed each other's com- company. Jordan likes basketball. We talked about the NBA for a while. We talked about he's got this lame job at Walmart that he hates, and I got to listen to him talk about that. But he was telling me about how he's getting opportunities to witness there. And I got to listen Guys, I got to listen to my grandson in the faith talk about what God was doing in his life. And I got to encourage him, and I got to say, hey, bro, you know, now that you're done with discipleship, God has more for you. Don't quit. Don't relent. Lean in harder. You haven't achieved anything yet. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. I got to encourage him. Man, it felt so good to be with Montana and with Jordan and to spend time with them and to not just hang out and talk about nothing and just enjoy each other's company, which is what, which is what grandparents want to do. Like, y'all have grandparents, right? Grandparents want to just spoil you and act stupid with you. And, like, they, most grandparents have very little responsibility as it concerns your life. They just, they just want to make you feel loved. But listen to me. A good grandparent is also the one who's willing to say the tough stuff. They don't just want to spend time with you, but they want to invest in you. And that's another type of relationship. Here's another key point. Pour into the generations you're responsible for. Pour into the, to, to the, to the relationships, the generations that you're responsible for, the ones that God has used your life to, to invest in. And, 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 and as those relationships change and they grow and they evolve, your job is to occasionally check back in and to make sure that they're doing well. Montana does this all the time with me. His way of doing that is to send me music he finds on Spotify, which is really code for, hey, I need you right now. And so those are the moments where I'm like, yeah, I'll listen to that later. I never do, by the way. I never listen to the songs that he sends me. I don't have time for that. I'm busy, okay? Okay, sometimes I do. But, but I use that as an opportunity to say, hey, man, what's going on? What's up? How's ministry going? What do you got going on this week? And I use those as opportunities. I just assume that they're just him telling me he needs me. And I just say, hey, brother, I love you. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your brother. I'm praying for your ministry. Because it's my responsibility to always pour into the generations that I'm responsible for. And it is for you, too. It's important to know the value of these relationships we've talked about today. And all all relationships. The ones that come and go. Our fathers and mothers in the faith. The people that were fathers and mothers, too. We need to never forget the, the, the people in our lives, the Deb Mulders, the Brooke Sidebottoms, the Dan Renaults, the James McKelveys, the roles that they have in our life. We need to honor that and cherish it because one day they won't be there. And one day, you or they will be on mission and you're going to be doing the work of God and he's going to call you somewhere and you're, those, these people aren't going to be with you the way that they were. 
And we must find refreshment in one another. We got to learn to say farewell, but we got to learn to love and enjoy the friendships that we have in ministry. I'm so, I feel so bad for the lost world. I feel so bad for them. Because most people that we know in this life, their friendships are based upon what they do on the weekend. Their friendships are based on what's going to happen. Hey, are we going to the lake this weekend? Or, or it, you know, the fact that they're in the fantasy league, football league together. You know? How'd you do in DraftKings this weekend? These are the conversations that people have. They, they're friends on Facebook and they're friends at work and they're friends. And, they're, and the, all these relationships are based on such trivial things and, and they're so temporal in nature. And yet we get to have relationships with one another that transcend all of time. And they're rooted in ministry and they're rooted in, in a love that goes so much deeper than that. And it's not about what we can get out of one another. It's, it's, it's about what I can give you. Like in the greatest joys of my life are the ways that I can sacrifice for you. I can give of myself. I can't do it perfectly. The ways that I can give of myself to you, this is the greatest joy of my life. Those are relationships that the world can never understand. And we have to cherish them. And we have to invest in them. And we have to understand them. And we have to have God's perspective on them. I hope this makes sense. In conclusion, I wonder how rich are the relationships that you have. Because I know there's people in here that I don't know very well and there's people that are visiting today and there's people that are new disciples. And I want to ask you, I wonder how rich the relationships you have really are. Do you have friends and fathers in the faith? Do you have people who have in invested in your life? Are there people that have poured into you? Do you have people that you've poured into? Are you bound to other Christians in a way that is, that's more of a brotherhood than a passive church relationship? There are churches that, that the relationships in those places, they just look like the world. And that's poison, and that's sad, and that's disappointing, and that's Laodicean. But, but the right kind of relationship looks like brotherhood, looks like sisterhood. Please don't pass through this Christian life never having built bonds based in ministry. I ask as we close today, the worship team can go ahead and come up. I'm going to ask you to do the following. I want to ask that you would go and you would find a friend in the ministry. Someone that you, and maybe someone from your Bible study, maybe it's your discipler. I want you to go find them. I want you to consider praying with them. And when you pray, I, this, is like, this is kind of a weird request. It's different than our usual invitations. I want you to to spend time thanking God for that person. Right? You know how prayer sometimes should be about thanks? Just about thanks and glorying. Pray with that person and thank God for that person. And then pray that God would use you to invest in other people in a way that allows God's mission to get done, that prioritizes souls even over that friendship. That there's something bigger than that friendship, and that's your friendship with God. There's only one friendship that should be greater than the friendship that we have with one another, and that's, that's the relationship and the bond that we have to Jesus Christ. 
And we want to pray that God would use us in the lives of others, that his work would get done, and that we would be loyal to him and his mission, first and foremost, above all things. Now, with that said, I recognize that there's probably also people in here who don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And all of this stuff that I've said and talked about, it just sounds like crazy, crazy Christian stuff. Like, what is he talking about, these kinds of friendships? Listen to me. What I'm talking about is the byproduct of knowing Jesus Christ. Is being saved and set free, being forgiven of sin. I said today in, in main service, Orion just accepted Christ. It took him four months of hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus, before he came to a place and he was like, you know what, I want and need that. And the beautiful thing about that is that Orion knows that the byproduct of that decision to follow Jesus Christ is all of this. Like, what's, what is better than this? To me, nothing. Our bond is tighter than, it's tighter than my own flesh and blood, y'all. To me, this is, this is the most beautiful thing, is, is, is the bride of Christ. I mean, Jesus thinks so. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come forward. There's going to be counselors up here that are waiting for you. Just come and grab them and ask them about what that means. I love you. I'm going to pray for you. And, let's, and we'll worship and, and we'll grab our friends and we'll pray. And we'll ask that the Lord would use us beyond our wildest dreams which sounds very Disney of me in this moment. But whatever you think it is and whatever think, ways you think God wants to use you, I bet you anything he wants to use you more than that. So let's turn to him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I love you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time. I thank you for these relationships. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for the, the ways that I've gotten to, to know the people in this room. And, and uh, well, I'm just grateful for, for whatever level of relationship we have. I'm just thankful to have friends and to know I have people that love me. And so, Lord, we're, we're, you've done that. You, you've done that. You've brought these people together. These people, I mean, we're all just worthless and weak and and. We just falter all the time, and yet you brought us together, and you've made something of us. You've bonded us. You've fairly joined us, and we're thankful for that. And Lord, we ask that you continue to do that, because Kaya, Kaya wants to be used to reach this city. And so our relationships have to get tighter. And so Lord, would you continue to build us together and, and fit us for your work? But Lord, I also pray that as it's time for us to separate, in the years that come, year, three years, five years from now, ten years from now, that we would do so out of pure passion for you and a desire to abide in your will, knowing that every one of these friendships will be reunited and rekindled in a place called heaven. And that these relationships truly, they're divine in nature, and they, they, they transcend this temporal moment and we will find ourselves together again, rejoicing because we've obeyed. Help us, Lord. Help us to see from your perspective. In Jesus' name, amen.
that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.